American Super Camp, and you're listening to Pit Pass Radio. Well, thank you very much, Jack. Jack DeLeon, our executive producer of the program. In studio, PJ Duran, Tony Wink, and uh, Scott Casbred, Ed Kulenkamp, one of our producers as well. I want to thank Chris Bishop, Tommy Boy Halverson for helping to prepare our program. It's always great. And we would be remiss if we did not mention Leanne DeLeon, who is our online executive producer. So thank you very much. Tony? Hey, did you guys hear that uh, Moto America has set a race at Indy Motor Speedway? I have heard big it, but time. I don't I'm pumped and I'm yeah. going. Do you, I'll be I going. don't know the details though. I've heard it, but I don't know the details. Well, it's all I know. I'll tell you this it's though. In August. It's in August next year, like yeah. 22, 23 that weekend. And August twenty first, twenty third. Yep. Yes. What and was the last event we did at Moto or excuse me at uh, Indy? Do you remember? Yeah, the GP. We went down. Tony, I think what well, they've been there two, three years. We went there every year. Tony Tice. Yep. And, and man, fun. it was fun. so cool. They had the Indy Mile, so AFT, if they could go back there, I know that. That'd be killer. That'd, that'd be so exactly cool. exactly what I'm hoping because, yes, I went to every single MotoGP that was held at the Brickyard. I was there first and last year's. Didn't miss one. Was there for the Hurricane yep. in the first year. I was there for every single event. I cannot wait to go back. I am was, stoked about this. Who was the uh, rock and roll star? It's a friend of yours. It lives just down the street. He's a part of a big, big band. Called Slipknot. Slipknot. Um, well, there's Jim Root and Sid Wilson, the guys Sid. that I know. So yeah, Sid. Remember, we were walking across the infield toward the uh, Red Bull uh, facility, uh-huh. which was amazing. Oh, and he amazing. was spinning records or whatever. Well, he was supposed whatever to Whatever he be, does. But he was, <clears throat> he was using two canes because he had fallen off of off of a stage. He had jumped off of a stage. Uh, jumping. Okay. All right. They are crazy. And yeah. he showed me a video of it, and I'm like, why would you do that? What did you think well, was going to happen? Well, he's over 40 years old. He's forty. He's got to be 40-plus years old. What do you think? They all are. They're older than me, all of them. Well, yeah, yeah they're my they're my age. I have a couple of them as customers. They're my Sid, age. Sid, yeah. He, Mid-40s, upper all right, 40s. All right, let's get to our guest. I want well, to talk uh, to well, this guy. Yeah, I mean, he obviously is... Uh, our next guest, Richard Kimes, is a motorcycle industry veteran. He joins us now. Any opinion on uh, stage diving, Richard? Uh, wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> issue. Fine advice, sir. What brand of helmet should we wear? Yes. Well, uh, my career has uh, been pretty much dedicated to the, uh, the wearing and use and sale of uh, showy helmets, the number one premium helmet brand in the, in the world. And HJC helmets. Hmm. I like yeah. the style of uh, one, the new choice. Yeah, that's a, that's a good looking helmet too. Are you still with Helmet House? No, I, I recently left. Um, it's an interesting story. Uh, I like to let's know, hear it. Reminisce in a way <laughs> that uh, you know the our general manager said we all had a great witness to one of the great American success stories and. Uh, the ownership of Helmet House recently sold the company, and uh, I'm no longer with Helmet House after uh, uh, almost 15 years. Well, what do you know? Ain't that fun? So uh, <laughs> let me ask you. Change is inevitable. Is this what you're doing now, or what are you doing? <laughs> that was actually just sparkling that water. That wasn't beer. Yeah, it was. wasn't beer. But what are you doing with yourself? Oh, I've got um, doing uh, you know uh, special podcast interviews and. Uh, Got some projects in the fire. I'm also helping out with my wife's uh, 
business. She has her own boutique gardening consultancy business, and I do a lot of social media on that. And uh, just, you know, keep it busy. Let me ask you, I'm, I'm curious about the power sports industry and, and the direction that we're we're headed with this. And, and you've seen it with, you know, being involved with uh, director of training for Helmet House, chief marketing officer. Um, at least that's what the script here says that you did. Um, <laughs> can you talk about, the, you know, the, the trends that we're seeing now with, with uh, side-by-sides? I know that that, um, you know, that seems to – we have made a shift – at the local dealer level in sales that, um, you know, we're not, we're not, people are not buying motorcycles like they used to. Yeah. It's, uh, it's quite a, a time of transition. Actually. I think if you were to walk into most of your bigger, um, Japanese oriented dealerships, yeah, the side by side segment is certainly, uh, uh, their, their best sellers at this time. Um, and as far as motorcycles concerned, um, yeah, I mean, the industry has been in this sort of um, long, slow reset period. Right. Um, and the good news is I don't see any you know, dedicated motorcyclists, at least in the data I saw in my job as, as CMO. You know, nobody's really stopped riding. They're just being very cautious with their dollars and not... Uh, well, don't they have to be? Know. Because, I mean, look at the price. And, Tony, we've talked about this. The t- you know t- two cycle versus four, um, and, and the price of the bikes have really gone out of control. Even the two strokes are are expensive now. But, but you can at least work on them and fix them. Uh, speak for yourself. I'm yeah, and, they're, and they're I about choose. they're about to be fully fuel injected. We're going to see that it's already happening. Yeah. I mean, Is it's really? going to happen. Which at which point they're going to cost as much as a four stroke. There won't be a price difference. PJ, what do you, you're 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 part of the. Um, the Hicklin Power Sports family. Um, are you seeing the side by sides? Because uh, let's face it, you do watercraft, you do snow, you do motorcycles, and then now the side by sides. Is it a big part of the business? Absolutely, it's huge. It's uh, probably our biggest sellers. Really? Absolutely. So you're saying that? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? On Richard, on on you say that the the guys are still riding, but they're being more careful what they spend their money on. Um, Shoey helmets ain't yeah. cheap, right? So, uh, no, and uh, you know they've done a great job of expanding their product line to kind of meet the evolving needs of motorcyclists. But uh, you know, from the data I've seen, uh, you know, people are keeping their bikes on the road. I know I have several motorcycles, and if I were ever to call on a dealership, I invariably get the, uh, the invitation to, "Hey, you want to you want to trade that in? We're looking for great used bikes." So. Um, what you're seeing is, yeah, to your point of, you know, price points being rather high relative to history, um, you see that being attacked in a couple of different ways. A lot of people spending their money more on, on quality used motorcycles. Uh, and you're starting to see the OEMs come in with smaller, lighter, uh, less expensive product in, you know, 300cc class, 500cc class. And, um, you know, that's probably going to have a bigger role in the future of motorcycling would be my guess. I think you're absolutely on uh, point there, Richard. So I've got a question for a man who's uniquely qualified as you are with your history with Showy. I, uh, as with my involvement through a dealership and in the industry, we're seeing, I think, um, a watershed, a change in the design of helmets. Uh, speaking specifically of 6D, 
but I think that technology is going to become uh, probably, uh, it, it looks like it will eventually become the, the way of the future. Did, did you get a sense that that was going to be occurring? Because uh, Shoei is just one of many premium brands uh, that I think is going to be, uh, have to be looking at that, or are they not? Uh, no, they're definitely looking at it, and the whole notion of engineering for better rotational impact protection, I think, is a, is a noble effort. Um, where it's challenging is um, the testable engineering qualities of that kind of impact. The mathematics on it get quite complex. So, uh, but it is going to, without doubt, be the future of. Uh, how helmets are engineered because it's a it's a relatively next level type of impact that certainly uh, if you can protect a rider's head he will have a uh, a better result in, in a rotational impact with that kind of technology. But Richard, don't we have to be honest with ourselves? We can make the shell, the helmet itself, the padding, etc., inside um, as 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 best we can. But that doesn't stop the brain from traveling from point A to point B within the cranium, right? Well, I mean, that is the whole concept of how a, a motorcycle helmet has to work, is to kind of dissipate that deacceleration energy and give your, your brain some room to kind of move in an impact versus having it be transmitted directly through your skull. I mean, that's why... Shell construction is so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. the, the notion of constructing a, a multi-piece uh, EPS or other material type of liner that will help dissipate that that impact and acceleration and give you the best possible chance of you know coming away from a, a, an incident with uh, minimal injury. But right. you know, time and time again, if you hit something hard enough, you will get hurt, and that's sure. very difficult to engineer for any kind of instance well my whole goal in my life is to lessen my opportunity of deacceleration tony <laughs> i don't even know i, I don't want i don't i don't want avoid to hit my crashing head at, i don't avoid want, crashing. thank you i don't want to hit my head at anything so what are your plans richard my plans are to enjoy my uh, family for a couple of weeks and uh, uh keep busy i've got a few irons in the fire already but uh as to staying in the motorcycle industry, I mean, I've got almost 20 years in, into it. I'd love to figure out a next step in it, but I'm also open to other aspects of my career. I have quality uh, experience in both automotive and technology, just pretty much what you get here in Los Angeles. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what the future holds. Do you think there's any real big opportunities like there were back in the 90s, even early 2000s, there were opportunities where companies like, i give you an example, uh, CNL companies, I worked for them for a short year, um, which is the owner of, of Pivot Works, Hot Rods, Hot Cams. They're out of Des Moines here. And that guy, you know, he sold his business for 50 some million, I'm told. And, and uh, basically he just put together, you know, started with uh, the source and the rods and that sort of thing. And he was in bed with Wiseco for a while. And then he he went on and did his own thing, and and uh, you know his, the pivot works thing is basically it's it's sourcing cheap, and they're cheap Chinese Chinese Taiwanese parts, and and bearings and seals and that kind of thing, and then putting them all together in one easy to order uh, kit, and 
and you know the guy is is while I think he's shrewd, he's a brilliant businessman and he's made millions of dollars. Do you think there's opportunities like that in the motorcycle industry or do you think we've thought of everything already and it's already all out there and been done? Because another oh, wow. gear company, another helmet company, another tire company, all those Me Too brands or Me Too categories, I just don't see anybody getting rich doing it. Well, I know one thing that the the entrepreneurial spirit in in the motorcycle industry, and particularly in the aftermarket, there there will always be people who will find a way to be successful. That said, though, I think you're going to see a lot of transitional change in how product is generated. Um, I mean, the notion of cheap, as you say, cheap Chinese product is you know. To be addressed with tariffs here for who well, knows how much longer. Sure. And the fact of the matter is, you know, we're all kind of seeing what falls out of all of these types of issues, um, but where the category is going to go. Strong uh, will survive, right? You know, they always do. Economic Darwinism is in full effect at all times. Our vote is uh, for you, Richard, obviously. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, hearing what your next step is when you make it. Oh, well, that's nice to hear, and uh, thank you for your time, gentlemen, and good go. luck with the rest of the show. Richard Kimes, thank you. We need it. We need all the luck we can get. <laughs> hey, speaking of luck, how about the Montreal Everybody Supercross? Everybody in Scott Can we, uh, there we go. Um, Montreal Supercross, what was your take on uh, on uh, uh, Mookie? He had a 2-1-5 yeah, finished second. second overall. I don't know. I mean, I'm, it's, it, I, I'm not surprised. You know, he's very strong competitor sure. um i was pretty stoked for dean wilson i was too and getting the win and i was kind of wishing brayton would have gotten it but what about filthy phil nicoletti i don't really care okay back after this top of the hour you're listening to pit pass racing weekly have you ever wanted to know how to win a formula one grand prix i mean really know know about the driver tactics from the cockpit the strategy calls from the pit wall and even the mind games in the paddock There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.